listening to Chill Spot Radio. Mental health, especially amongst people of color, has long been stigmatized, inadvertently keeping our people from accessing and reaching mental well-being. This podcast aims to transform stigma into strength. Your hosts work in the mental health field, bearing in their experience within the mental health profession. We thank you for your time in this brave space. Welcome to the Chill Spot Radio. Uh, this is episode seven. Um, I'm your host, Jared Morgan, and my co-host, Dr. Alan Lipscomb. Welcome. There we go. Um, yeah, today we are going to be talking about some of the things that have been seeing. Um, I have been um, finding myself becoming possibly having, you know, some reactions to the constant killing of Black men despite all the civil unrest during a pandemic because of the George Floyd murder. And um, now um, the world is watching our police officers and they can't seem to not continue to kill Black people or shoot at them uh, without impunity. Um, And um, you know, it's it's taken a toll um, mentally and physically, and uh, find myself sometimes having a hard time um, not being numb to the situation. Sure. And then it hits me a couple days later. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm sure other people are feeling that exact same way. Yeah, I, I appreciate you um, starting off with that because there is this heaviness, uh, daily heaviness that we are experiencing. And, and I'm curious for you if, if you can name that, that that weight that you're feeling, the numbness that you're talking about, what, what, what would you call that if you had to name that for yourself? Ooh, um, probably feeling a little depressed, I would say. Mm-hmm. Because there's really no outlet for it. Um, it just kind of continues to, to happen. And the problem with all the social distancing is that, um, and there, and there, and, you know, one, you know, it's, uh, we're not seeing, I'm not seeing many people in person, but then also, um, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be, um, or that I've found any just groups um, where we process this. Yeah, that's real. That's real. It's something that I think folks are tired of seeing and, and frustrated with seeing. But like you said, depressed as a result of uh, the lack of respect and care for Black bodies in the United States. What, how does that depression manifest itself for you? What, what does that look like? Can you describe it? Um, I 
think it, it, it uh, in my um, energy, not having as much energy or the desire to want to work out. Um, and at first I was really confused about why. I'm like, I have all this time being in quarantine. And I heard someone on the radio talk about how sometimes we carry um, that depression. It's, it's very heavy on our bodies. And, um, you know, you may be working out at your peak and then you see one of these murders happen and then it's like it brings you all the way back down uh, and having to start all over again. Because there was a point in time when I was running um, about two miles a day. Yes. And now and so, I'm about a, a mile in walking. Got it. So that's, that's the, the decrease that you've noticed from your typical baseline to, to now. Yeah. I'm curious, who do you go to, to to talk about this? Or do you talk about this? You talked about numbing a moment ago. Um, therapist. Um, and then some other black males uh, that I'm familiar with that, uh, you know, we see them at the park um, and we've become um, acquaintances, you know, leading up to be being more friends um, because of our daughters um, starting to play with each other at two and a half. It, it, that social distancing between them um, has become impossible and sure. a lot of us have given up. <laughs> um, on on the little ones, but um, yeah, we you know we discuss uh, some of those things, um, which it's it's nice to have somebody else that understands. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that you talked about too is uh, withdrawing, like pulling back. Yeah, because just when. It, it, for me, just when I'm able to breathe enough, mm -hmm. the wind is knocked right out of me. And I'm wondering if you feel similar to that with each thing that we see. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. It's like, oh, man, you know, once I get back to that, because it happened. I, I was running, then I stopped, and I started again. And then... Um, after the Maude Aubrey and George Floyd video, those were then within I saw within like two weeks of each other. Um, then I got back into a rhythm. Um, and then in June, um, I felt like another weight. Um, and then, you know, I was slowly working back up and then another one. And so, yeah, it's like the, that, that height of enough keeps dropping as well because it seems like every time we turn around, the, the killings are happening um, uh, with less time in between. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I, I do. I feel like it, as soon as you get back there, it's like a gut punch all over you. Yeah. That's when you know that this is more than just a moment in time, a movement in time. It is something that is more um, pervasive and insidious, and it's deeper than just one 
bad cop or several bad officers or that particular police department. It, it, it is larger and more widespread than I think that folks uh, were prepared to admit, acknowledge, and recognize. And I'm wondering, what do you feel or think should happen, should take place um, in order to truly address this pain and address these racial injustices that we are seeing weekly? That's a, a great question. Um, one that I, I think often, because um, I live in a um, middle-class neighborhood, um, so we do have people of color here, and we do have other Black people here, um, and but we're nowhere near a majority. Um, and, but I see a lot of signs that say, defend, not defund the police. And that is like another gut punch that happens on a daily basis because you see neighbors who don't get it. They just don't get it at all. And so to answer your question, how do we essentially get those people to get it? Because I feel like then you're always fighting this Goliath. Um, because there's people who are just going to stand their ground and just not accept the fact that there's historical and systemic racism in this country. Yeah, they, they look for the exception. They look for what's not being said to highlight that piece, right? They look for, oh, we need to look out for our police officers. We need to support our police officers. And it's not that we need to ensure that folks are not dying unjustly in the streets for, for crimes and things that they didn't even commit. It, it almost, um, it feels like we're in two different worlds. Yes. You know, um, and while you know it's true, you right, you've lived that experience of being black-bodied in America, it is, it has um, been pushed into <laughs> overdrive and, and, and very overt. Yeah. And so with that is that disregard that it feels for who you are as a person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm curious, you talked about the father, the black dad in the park who you become friends with, um, associates with. I'm curious, how do you feel or how do you respond when you see other black folk, black men, black women, children, et cetera, in the community as you're navigating day to day, going grocery shopping, et cetera? Uh we certainly notice each other. Um, there is a instant um, bond. Um, there's a sense of security, seeing that they're also there, knowing that, you know, at least there is somebody here that, you know, 
I could count on in case, you know, shit hits the fan um, in regards to just police brutality or racism. So it, uh, yeah, it's nice. It, it's interesting because we, we all notice each other. Uh, they're very much the, the, the black nod when you're walking down the street. Yeah. Um, happens here, yeah. Yeah, that that feels good when when that happens. It's it's, it's a seeing you, right? Yeah. It's a truly truly seeing you, um, and it really sees your humanity, right? And who you are as an individual versus fearing you versus treating you like a suspect or or, or something like that. You know, it's a different felt experience. Exactly. Um, we. So my, um, my wife actually is uh, half white, half Latina, but uh, visually presents Caucasian. Um, and one night we were walking back from the park and um, there was this older white lady in the front line. So it was dark and she had her dog with her and she was just staring. Um, and as we continue to walk closer, and usually in those instances, you know, because my wife is white um, or looks white, you know, people tend to not stare as long as I would expect them to, but she just kept on staring. And, I, you know, I was thinking, like, is she looking at me because I'm black? Is she, you know, feeling scared? Like, why she should be walking her dog. Why is she just standing there? And as we got closer, my wife is like, well, what is that woman doing? And I'm like, okay, you noticed it too. Mm -hmm. And the irony of it is right on her lawn, there was a Black Lives Matter sign. <laughs> and I was like, what? The, there it goes. Like, I'm seeing those signs all over Culver City. And it's kind of like, yeah, you say it because, yeah. you know, theoretically, you know, it should be true. But true. you're one of the reasons it doesn't exist because you have these implicit biases. Yeah, that, that's a perfect example of implicit bias and how it shows up. You know, it runs contrary to the beliefs, the stated beliefs. Exactly. And, and, and those who believe that they are critically conscious or woke or more liberal, right, uh, could also exhibit psychological harm through mm -hmm. the, through their implicit biases. Right. Yeah. What one of the things that I think about that that provides some solace and solitude is thinking about ancestral strengths and what um our great grandparents, parents, grandparents, et cetera, across the, the lineage have gone through what they fought for, what they've advocated, and calling upon the ancestral strength is what helps me get through the day to day in moments when it gets really bleak. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that in providing some 
strength and protective factors for you? Um, I mean, I, I think it, it, it does. I don't, excuse me, I don't think about it as much as I probably should. Um, and I'm not using it as a, um, a strength in the times of weakness or the times when I need to, like I should. Um, because you're, you're completely right. Um, plenty of stories to fall back on from um, that I've heard uh, even about my grandmother and great-grandmother uh, in the South in Alabama, rural Alabama, um, and things that used to be said. Um, and, you know, I think from time to time, um, I utilize it. Um, and I think what I utilize is I fall back on my education, um, recognizing that there's a lot of privilege uh, around there that um, I use that as a defense mechanism when it's like the, it's really, um, you know, feeling kind of like, wow, you know, some of these white people really aren't on our side. And it's like, well, that's because they're just not as smart as I am or the people I surround myself with. So looking at like the ignorance. Yes. Got it. And although ignorance may be bliss, I don't want to be there if that's, if, if I have to be ignorant, you know? Mm. Yeah, you don't want to be alongside with, with the ignorance, dwelling right. in it. And I think yeah. a lot of Black people have had to do that. Uh, I think about, um, you know, the riot or the burning of Greenwood, Rosewood, um, that we talked about with uh, Dr. Um, Ricks, is like a lot of them were successful. Um, they had to fall back on that kind of pride despite the injustices that they were facing. So maybe, yeah, maybe I do think more about my ancestors than I, I thought. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and it's not to say that feeling those feelings of um, heaviness and sadness, and like you were saying earlier, de depressed and down, um, I, I think is important to recognize that and not deny that because those feelings are real and those experiences are our real felt experiences um but what could help and what could help in those times is calling upon ancestral strengths mm -hmm. in in what they have um how they went about surviving and still having a sense of um community uh healing spiritual connection religious connection, right. faith. Yeah. Those are the spaces I, I think that really help uh, Black folk get through times like this in, in other times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially when, um, you know, it, no matter it's like we lose for winning um, being uh, educated or having a certain job 
um, you, you isolate yourself in a sense. Um, and so you're surrounded by other people that don't understand your blackness. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like you're, you're calling on all these strengths constantly that just almost naturally wear you out as well. Um, it's tough um, being underrepresented at work, um, even with woke white people. Um, because at the end of the day, they're still in charge. And so they make, they call the shots. Um, and if their wokeness isn't as woke as my wokeness, <laughs> or they don't have my lens, um, there's still a bit of systemic racism mixed in their decisions. Sure. Yeah, criti- critical, not critical of self enough in yeah. a way to bring about changes systemically within institutions and, and organizations, I think is what you're, what you're touching on. Mm-hmm. And so mixed with uh, just the brutality of police brutality on Black people, there's also what I've noticed is recently it's all this work being done around people of color and Black people um, and supporting Black communities through my work. I'm noticing when they put commissions together, I think um, LA County is putting together a commission um, to look more at, um, you know, supporting black communities and communities of color. But the thing is, and it's all these nonprofits, these nonprofits that have had um, their roots here for a long time. And um, like, two thirds of them are the CEOs are white. Um, So it's constantly seeing, well, our our problems are only getting solved through the white lens. And which makes me feel semi-hopeless about the future because means there's less of our voice mixed in there to help for real or to be in there to create real change. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you're saying in, in a way that is um, culturally congruent and, and sustainable, not just a, a, a action item checking off the list of things to do. Yes. I think that's a good point. You know, something you said earlier made me think, or a moment ago you said in, in, in their wokeness, not, not woke like me. Um, and, it, and it's not that we need white folks and even non-black people of color to be woke like a black person. It's that they need to be woke in a way that's critical of how they are showing up or not showing up around racial injustices within uh, their communities and also within the organizations, places and spaces that they, that they work at or have positions of power and leadership in, the, in those organizations. 
you know, 20, 2020 is special that way that we cannot turn around and pretend like we don't see what's going on. You know, it, it is um, continuing to happen. And the more and more we choose not to do anything about it and address it, unfortunately, the longer it's going to continue to happen. When folks are not accountable, held accountable, things are not changing and shifting. I'm curious, where do you find hope as it relates to all of this? Or do you? Well, yeah. Um, I mean, my being like working in uh, government and seeing how slow it was, but things can happen. Um, I know that they will eventually change. Um, but I guess where I'm not hopeful is that in 2021, many of our problems from 2020 will be resolved. That's where there's not the same hope um, or high hopes. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I consider myself pretty hopeful um, and you, I, 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 some of it comes, this is going to sound funny, but from Shawshank Redemption, um, you know, when uh, Red and um, Andy Dufresne are talking and he, he says, you know, you, you either get busy living or get busy dying. Um, and, um, you know, and, and if you don't have hope, then, you know, what's the point? Um, so I'm hopeful. Um, and I'm surrounded by a lot of people who, who want change and are there for change and can be criticized. Um, it's just, a lot of it is what you see on TV um, or social media. Um, just that the lack of critical, to criticize themselves or to accept critical feedback uh, and to critically think about things. Um, not even just about race and ethnicity, um, that just happens to be the most that affects me because of my identity. Um, but I see a lot of other ignorant things being said. Sure. That probably way, you know, my interest in health and healthcare um, was also weighed heavy during this pandemic um, because I knew of the effect it would have on people of color, uh, particularly black people. And, um, you know, it, it's come true. Um, or that has manifested itself. You know, black people are dying two and a half times more than, than white people. Um, and the response from the federal government all the way down uh, was extremely poor overall. But then also, you know, we just ignored race and ethnicity and all of this. It's always an afterthought. For it's sure. It's always an afterthought for non-people of color. Yes. Um, and like I said, you see these CEOs and things like that who are, you know, white. Um, you know, they don't have to experience that. It's just their job. It's also my job, but I also take it personal because I am black. Um, and that's where it becomes extra frustrating. Because why are they in charge when it's not their people being 
affected at the same rate as my people. So it sounds like you're saying because they don't have that lived experience, they are not being proactive in preventing it from happening to begin with versus responding after the numbers come in, after we see how it's impacting, but not looking at the historical pieces that, that the, the, the determinants that say that regardless of X, Y, and Z, Black folk are always at the bottom because of the racial injustices that have been around for, for decades and centuries. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, that's that, um, you know, it makes me think, is that blatant disregard? Is that what you're saying? Lack of lived and living experience, so then they don't even think about it, that privilege, right, that shows up. Right. Um, and then it also makes me think that, then are you saying that white people should not be in positions of power and leadership when servicing or working in collaboration with Black folk? in the community? No, um, I certainly am not saying that. Um, what I'm saying is that we just need to see more people of color, black people um, in leadership positions who, who have that voice and can make decisions. Because mm. you can have one in leadership, but can't make decisions Correct. or don't have the voice or can't use the voice. Exactly. Yeah. For example, you know, I don't know if you remember in this pandemic, uh, Governor Gavin, Gavin Newsom addressed that, you know, Black people were experiencing this and communities of color were experiencing yes. uh, disproportionate, disproportionate um, negative effects from this pandemic. Um, and it was like, well, no shit, Sherlock. But if it had been a black governor, they would have known that that was going to happen. Could it have been addressed earlier? Um, could the could warnings have been made or stated differently so that black people could have understood that? Because before we shut down, um, we knew, um, or at least some of us in the healthcare system or health system knew that, you know, diabetes and, and hypertension were um, uh, risk factors for um, dying of COVID-19. Um, and I mean, instantly I was like, oh shoot, that's black and brown people. Um, as we have diabetes at a far higher rate. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, but it was like still an afterthought. Uh, and still hasn't actually been properly addressed. Um, to this day, you know, testing is far less efficient in communities of color than it is for people with insurance who happen to be more white people. Through yeah. all of those, there's not a single point where a black person is in leadership that has the power to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. 
black person was writing executive orders to ensure that communities of color were going to get their the services due to them. Yeah, that what I'm what I'm hearing is that uh, unapologetic preventative stance and approach to ensure that the black community is getting the necessary services, support, and access to resources before it even happens. Exactly. Nice, nice. So how was it for you talking about your experience and what you've been going through over the past few weeks? Uh, it was good. Um, a bit of a... Uh, another weight off my shoulder mm -hmm. shoulders or, um, it uh, now doesn't solve problems or the problem but it helps me process it yeah yeah nice. which, which in the long term if I continue to do so I feel like will eventually get me to a point of healing enough yes that's, that's the goal, just enough to keep going. <laughs> enough to keep going to, to, to live another day uh, with strength, with fortitude, gratitude, dedication, commitment to see better tomorrows. Right. Nice, nice. Well, so, um, yeah. Yeah, so let's, let's transition, go ahead. Yeah, so that was a, um, what you know a mock therapy session um i uh asked dr lipscomb before this like hey let's try something new let's uh see if we could go through a session um and not say anything until the end um kind of uh destigmatize therapy um and yeah see what it is like to have two black males one a professional therapist from the ID talking to another um, and going through the process. And well, the things that I've said were very real um, and things that I have actually talked to my, my own therapist about. Um, it's interesting going through it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was interesting for sure. Um, yeah, you, that, that's important to note that you weren't making this up. Um, yeah. For, for, for folks, yeah. but uh, I think what becomes helpful is for folks to hear what it's like to truly hold space right. for uh, a black man during what is happening in a way that honors your truth, that validates your truth and supports your truth. Um, and so a lot of what I was doing was allowing you the space to just openly share, um, validating where and when I could validate your experiences without um, taking over that experience for you because I may have a different felt experience being a black male on the other end, but honoring your experience and, and allowing you to name it, that's what I started off with at the beginning, was having you name it. Because what happens sometimes, or many times, is 
we are experiencing these emotions, but then we don't name it. Yeah. We don't know how to name it. And so giving opportunity and space to sit with that and identify what that is and how you're navigating through it. And then walking through not only what's happening in your inter, uh, intra-psychic process, but also your interpersonal process. You know, when you talked about at uh, the park with the other black male parent, and you talked about when you see other black people in the community and the, the black nod, et cetera. And then you went into workspaces and how you're navigating that. And so what becomes important for me in holding the space with you is allowing you to, um, what I refer to as in my Black male grief work, traversing your grief, traversing your experiences around being Black today without pulling you away from it. You know, sometimes in, in the clinical work, we can stay hyper-focused on one aspect of who you are. And that, and usually that is um, the mental health piece or the, the psychopathology, if you will, uh, without looking at the critical ways in which you move and show up, mezzo, um, in the community, and then also um, larger context. Now, for the listeners, there was some big words in there, so I just want to cover those before I go to my <laughs> next. So, intra-psychic, I think you said. Yeah, intra-psychic process. Intra-psychic process is your own psychological experience that's happening internally, right? That's invisible to the outside world, but is real, 100% real to you and, and, and what you're going through. And then there's another. I'm already forgetting it. Interpersonal? But, no, I was, you just said it um, right before I, I stopped you, but um, it was a big one. Now I can't think of it. Uh, Mezzo? Uh, no, before that. It'll come back to me. Okay. Um, <laughs> but. Um, and that's, let me, let me say this. Don't forget, don't forget your dog. One of the things when I'm actually holding clinical space is I often will say to the folks that I work with, what do you think about what I just said? How does that feel for you? So if there is terms that I'm using or things that I am saying that's activating other stuff, um, I do encourage and allow space to, to clarify, to unpack, to process some of that. And yeah, no, and, and you did it, well, I'll just say this, it was just as full transparency. Um, yeah, you, you continued to lead me to go even deeper, um, even though this was almost like a mock, it ended up just being real because I couldn't make any of that up. Um, For sure. And you just, you know, you really, you really pull it out. Um, and it, it it may have seemed quick, some of the responses that I have, but that's because I've done my own work with a therapist. And so sure. it was already there. Um, but we, yeah, we really went in and deep and there is that space. Um, and it, it is, it is healing. Um, yeah. Yeah. The first time around you feel the, the, this, that weight, 
just is removed. Yeah, just 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 talking about it with someone who is not listening to judge or listening to fix or listening to have a counter argument. Right. I think it's is also what allows for that healing enough experience. You know, the other piece that I explored with you that I think is important for me to circle back to note for folks is how you find within yourself to continue to go, to continue to wake up each day, to continue to move forward. Hence the whole thinking about ancestral strength. Mm -hmm. Hence the question around hope and finding hope around that and not doing that to move you out of the feelings of, sadness and depression quickly, but also to expand and go a little bit deeper, connecting you to lineages of, of support, this, this liberation uh, piece that allows for healing too. And the liberation comes from looking at your, your ancestors and looking at how they we're fighting for liberation and how we pull from that in our own liberation, whatever that means for self, whatever that means for our psyche um, is what I was trying to do in, in, in that particular intervention. Mm -hmm. And um, can you talk a little bit about the importance of also, you know, us both being black um, and, not, and not to say that you can't see someone that is in that, of the same ethnicity or, or race as you, um, sure. But I think it's important to note that it uh, there's something to it. It does help. For sure, it does. It does help. You know, um, it allows for being in a space without having to explain mm -hmm. things that uh, you just want people to get right. You just don't want to have to educate on what it is, you know? And so that shared um, identity, racially speaking, regarding our particular topic, allows for that. There, there's a freeing, if you will, of having to convey and press upon what it's like, which also takes, takes energy and takes time to explain that. And right. that's a lot of emotional labor at times. Um, and so I, I think, like you said, while um, it, it doesn't have to be that the person you're working with as your therapist, et cetera, is Black like you, but I do think that it does provide um, some shared experience when they are. You know, my personal therapist is, is not Black, is not a Black male. Um, and... I wanted that in my own therapist with someone who didn't look like me, but could understand critically what the experiences are for Black people. Um, because I, I am so intimate to the work that I do with Black men and Black male grief that I don't think I could be objective in my own therapy with my therapist if that was a black male. I think I would be thinking through a lot of stuff around their experience and their experience of me and all of this stuff. So I strategically picked someone who was not a black male. Um, 
so so that, that can also be helpful yeah. for folks too yeah i and and i think um absolutely um and take takes a level of, of knowledge and understanding though as well um to be able to recognize what you're you're looking for and, yeah and kind of mirror i guess um but yeah absolutely um yeah and and, and also depends you know on the person that you see um how correct open are they not knowing what they don't know true yeah i, I need someone who is confident and critical in their own right mm -hmm. um that doesn't have that fragility um anxiety right. you know all of that stuff that shows up in the space like i don't need anyone that's going to feel sorry for me and feel sad and start crying and white guilt and all this stuff like i don't, I don't need that um I need someone who is going to speak truth to the psychological experience that I'm going through and validating that experience, but also providing interventions that are helpful for me during this time. And someone that's doing their own homework, that's doing their own work around this too. Right. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, most of, um, the patients that I've seen, um, as you know, as you supervise me, uh, are it's like seven, 70, 30 um, women or people that identify as women. And um, yeah. I'm a male, so um, or identify as that. And so, um, I, yeah, I bring a lot of stuff back to just bounce it off, you know, my wife or my mother just to make sure trying to con constantly learn. So, it, yeah, it certainly works, but um, just for our listeners and this, you know, we were really trying to highlight the blackmail process with one another. Uh, yeah. Therapy setting. And so uh, I hope it's you so enjoyed. Yeah. yeah. I hope you enjoyed. Um, you know, we still are trying new things out uh, with this podcast, trying to see what uh, what uh, listeners really enjoy. Um, yeah, we appreciate you all, too, for all of our, our listeners out there. Mm-hmm. And any feedback is, is always welcome on the website, uh, chillspotradio.com. You can comment on the different um, uh, episodes if, if you'd like. Um, but yeah, any, yeah, any closing remarks from you? Well, I just think with, with that point, I think feedback that centers the experience of what we're talking about, we don't want feedback that moves us away from who we're centering and what we're centering in the space because we want to stay true to what our intentions are, mm -hmm. what our mission is regarding this podcast, uh, being an extension of that. So I just want to, to call that into the space for, for those who would like to, to leave feedback, to honor that. Thank you. Well, um, thank you for listening and uh, we will be seeing you the next episode. Yeah, or be hearing you, or yeah. hearing us. <laughs> Alrighty. Thank you for listening to Chill Spot Radio. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on our webpage at chillspotradio.com.